the 40 days of Lent lead us all the way to Easter. And if Easter is the moment that we meet the risen Christ, well then Lent might just be a time when we more fully meet and encounter ourselves, where we deepen in our identity, where we understand our lives a bit more clearly. This renewed understanding of human life and what it means to be human, it is a primary concern for the Gospel of John. I have come so that they might have life, Jesus says, and have it abundantly, we read in John 10. I am the resurrection and I am the life, he says later in John chapter 11. Or, as we learn in our passage today, God loved the world and sent the Son, not so people would perish nor be condemned, but so that they might have life and have it eternally. Throughout the Gospel of John, we learn about the kind of life that Jesus is offering to people. And we meet individuals who are wondering this themselves. We meet the Samaritan woman at the well, the man born blind, described in chapter 9. We meet Lazarus, Mary and Martha in John 11. And today, we meet Nicodemus, who is asking at some level, what is the life of Jesus about? And what is my life about because of it? At first, however, Nicodemus appears less curious than he is certain. He's a leader of the Jews. He's a teacher of the law. He is a Pharisee. He has plenty of answers already. He's more declarative than he is inquisitive. There are far more exclamation points than question marks dotting his speech. And that might be why he comes to Jesus in the shadows of the night. Because John is a master of drama and setting. And so light and shadow, they define the story for John. And light is that place of belief, of faith, of transformation. Light is where resurrection happens. So when John tells us that Nicodemus comes by night, this is a signal, this is a reminder that there are probably some things that Nicodemus does not know. There might even be some things that Nicodemus is trying to hide. There might be some shadows of embarrassment. There might be some shadows of shame. He might not want others to know the questions that he has deep down. Because there are things Nicodemus does not know, but he himself, he can't admit it. Not at first. Notice, the first words out of his mouth in this passage are about what he already knows. Rabbi, we know, he says. We know that you are a teacher from God. He's speaking with authority as though on behalf of all of these others. And so this religious leader says to Jesus, we know who you are. He's full of this knowledge. We know, he says, standing in for all of us who seek that kind of certainty in our lives. After all, the information is readily accessible to us. We usually know where we are and where we're going. We just have to turn on the GPS tracker on any number of devices. Most any curiosity can be satisfied with a search for an objective answer. How many of our children know how to say, hey Siri, or okay Google, or Alexa? A passing question is just a quick search away from an answer. Yes, a great number of us have become very used to confidently knowing things. And so Nicodemus is all of us at some level with his assurance, with his credentials, with all of his accumulated knowledge. He's not so different from Abram and Sarah in today's lectionary passage from the Old Testament. Abram 
thought he had figured out who God is and where he should be and what his family would look like. But in an episode in Genesis 12, so foundational to Israel's collective story, God calls Abram and asks Abram and Sarah to head out into an unknown future without direction, without knowledge of where they're going. They get lost along the way. They make plenty of mistakes. There's this whole series of misunderstandings, mishaps, and abuses. But the Bible ultimately calls them righteous. And that's because they heard God's call in the middle of a place of certainty and security and they left all that they knew of what their lives were supposed to be. And they followed this call to a land that God promised to show them. We know, Nicodemus says in the darkness of the scene, with that settled, secure assurance of Abram and Sarah in Haran, assuming that God doesn't work in such a way as to defy our expectations or uproot us from one place to another altogether. Nicodemus has God all figured out. Nicodemus was like those who one preacher has said act as though they've walked all the way around God and taken pictures to come back and share with the rest of us. The problem with Nicodemus' faith is not that it's faulty, really. It, it's just that it is too fixed. And that kind of a fixed faith, it might be fit for the middle of the night. But it's not really set up for the fullness and the expanse of the light of God's new day. Because it's based in an expectation that is far short of the possibilities that exist in the love and the mercy of the God who so loves this world that God gave God's only Son. And this is so often true of what we think we know. Our expectations of God and of ourselves as God's people, they so often fall short. And so Nicodemus lives in all of us who are already convinced of what is real. He is in all of us who are certain of how things ought to be. He's in all of us who have established what is possible and what is not. We know what there is to know about you, Jesus, Nicodemus says for all of us. But what he does not yet seem to know is how perilous, how fleeting, how shadowy such assurance can ultimately be. The author Lawrence Gonzalez writes of this in his book, Deep Survival. It's written about a group of hikers. And they were descending Mount Hood in northern Oregon. This is a well-known climb. These experienced hikers decided to take the quick route back to warmth and they used ice axes. They took fewer precautions, but they had not accounted for the fact that the conditions had changed over the course of their hike. The snow had become less solid, resulting in this catastrophic fall. And in his book, Gonzalez points out how the group's prior experience, their training, their plans, their expectations were in the end ultimately what betrayed them. It all conspired to encourage a sense of confidence and to mask cues about the changing environment, Gonzalez writes. And then he says this, a closed attitude. An attitude that says, I already know. It can cause you to miss important information. And so survivalists and climbing instructors, he goes on to say, they refer always to the need to be open and to possess humility. Now such humility is not the easiest of qualities for those accustomed to knowing things. 
openness is not so easy to assume when we've been confident to this point. I don't know about you, but I want to hold on to what I've been taught, not step out into the light of something new. I want to believe that I've accumulated some experience that tells me the way things ought to be, not that there's a whole new world that's out there somewhere. I want God to fulfill my expectations right where I am right now. I know what Jesus can do. I know what the Bible says. I know what the kingdom ought to look like. I know who the Messiah is. I know who I am because of it. But then as the cross reminds us throughout Lent, Jesus comes to us. And He is always, always expanding the bounds of our knowing. And so it happens for Nicodemus. His certainty gives way finally to his questions. How can anyone be born again? He asked. This is some sort of fantastical notion. How can anyone expect to be reformed, reordered, recreated, to love more, to forgive more, to step out in boldness more? This concept is curious for any of us. But there's a detail of Nicodemus' question that I noticed especially as I prepared for this sermon in this year. It's what comes at the end. How can anyone be born again after having grown old? And moreover, why would anyone want to? I'm 42 years old. Now I know some of you are like the man that I met at a funeral recently who told me that I was just a spring chicken. But I promise you there are people in this room to whom 42 years old is old. (laughs) Now I myself prefer to call it early middle age, if I may. But I am certainly old enough to be fully comfortable with what I know. To be established in what I think. So I'm not interested in deconstructing or reconstructing. Why would anyone want to do that? after they've grown old. You see, it's not simply that Nicodemus doesn't understand this metaphor of being born again. It's that he just doesn't want to. Why would anyone who's mature, who's settled, who's established, why would they want to experience renewal, all of the vulnerability of being reborn? How rare would that kind of mindset be I will never forget a visit to one of our local care facilities where I was sitting with one of our saints who had been transferred to the healthcare wing for a stint after a fall that she had had. It was cold the day of my visit, and so she laid in her bed flat on her back, and there was an afghan pulled up all the way to her chin as she was tucked in tightly, still, her daughter by her side, and we started to talk. We talked about life, we talked about church, we talked about God, and she motioned to her daughter and she said, you know, I've been doing some thinking about my faith lately, been doing some more reading, and you know, I've decided that on some things, I have changed my mind. And it was as stunning a statement of faith as I think I've ever heard from this woman with the afghan pulled up to her chin who was vulnerable, who was willing to change, who was willing to grow, which is so rare. It's so precious because why would anyone 
set in their ways, want to give that up? Why would you want to start over or rediscover something when you've spent your life accumulating and figuring things out? Why would you want to think again? Why would you want to experience anew? Why would someone comfortable in the shadows want to step out into the light? Well, if this is true individually, it is certainly true of institutions, and it's certainly true of churches. As we are deepening in our identity this Lent, as we are meeting ourselves as individuals, we are also in the midst of an exercise that's helping us to do that as a community of faith. We're hosting these roundtable conversations as a congregation about our identity, about who we are, about where we're going. And last week's was so wonderfully hopeful, all of it helping us to ask, what does it mean to be First Baptist Church Greensboro in this place and this time? How is Jesus calling us to follow out into what is ahead? An invitation towards the renewal and the rebirth that God in Christ is always, always calling us towards. But we might want to ask, why would anyone want to do that? Why would any church want to do that after establishing themselves for 150 plus years? I saw one church recently that developed this strategic plan And the plan ultimately just amounted to marketing. What I would sum up a message of, if you'd just come inside, you'd see that we've been doing these things right all of these years. (laughs) When in fact, in any institution and in any church, in any community of faith, there are some things that we've accumulated and patterned and established that are worth reconsidering. Just think of our building as a prime example. We think about this a lot. You know there was once a bowling alley in our gymnasium. You know that we used to have a peewee football team. Did you know we have roving rooms behind our baptistry here? And did you know that there's a pastor's changing area on the side that is marked men, but not on the side that's marked women? Just consider what that says about some of the assumptions we've held and consider how that might be true in how many other ways, not only in buildings and spaces, but in the structures of our understandings. We still have spaces in our church that are not accessible to all people regardless of their physical ability. And that's just the physical. What about all of our assumptions, our patterns of thinking, our practicing our faith? We have to always, always be willing to imagine these things again. To reconsider them. To think again. To see what the Spirit might inspire anew. And if we're not willing to do that, in our place and time, well, then we might as well just go bowling in the gym. How can anyone be born again, Nicodemus asks. You can almost sense his frustration. Because to be born again is in part to let go of what you've known. It's to never be so certain and secure that we believe that God is limited to the shadows of our expectations. Or that the Bible means only what we already think and know. Or that Jesus can only do what we have planned or expected Him to do. Or that the kingdom will come only as we believe it should. Or that Jesus can only be who we have already figured out that He is. Such assurance, it turns out to be as dark and shadowy as a Jerusalem alley in the middle of the night. The late preacher Fred Craddock often wrote of his relationship with his father which itself had some shadows. His father never wanted him to be a preacher. I know how churches are, he would say. They just want your pledge. Just another name, another pledge. That's the whole point of church. 
Fred Craddock said he heard that a thousand times from his father, but one time he didn't say it. It was a time when he was visiting his father at the veterans' hospital. He'd lost a lot of weight. He was no longer able to speak. They had said, Mr. Craddock, you should have come earlier. This cancer is awfully far advanced. We'll do everything we can, but we just don't know. And so Fred Craddock went in to see his father at the hospital, and in every window there were these potted plants and flowers. Everywhere there was a place to set them, these plants and flowers. Even in that thing that swings out over your bed that they put food on, there was this big flower sitting there. There was a big stack of cards about 10 or 15 inches deep, and he started to look at the cards sprinkled amidst the flowers, and there on the bedside table, and he says every card, every blossom, every potted plant was from groups, a Sunday school class or a women's group or a youth group or a men's Bible class of his mother's church. And his father saw him reading them, and he couldn't speak, but he took a Kleenex box next to his bed, and he wrote on the side a line from Shakespeare's Hamlet. He wrote on the side, in this harsh world, draw your breath in pain to tell my story. He showed it to his son, and Fred Craddock said, well, Daddy, what is your story? And then he wrote again, I was wrong. And it seems to me that a life of faith, a life of growing faith, which is to say a life of renewing faith and deepening understanding of Christ and ourselves, is a life that has to make this admission to scratch it out again and again. Because Jesus is always calling us to reconsider what we think God is doing in the world and what our own lives mean because of it. How can this be? Nicodemus asks. It's the last thing he says in this passage. He goes from knowing it all to being overwhelmed with wonder. And this is always the question when the Spirit is up to something. It's like Mary responding to the angel Gabriel's invitation earlier in the story of John. Before she says yes definitively to bearing the only Son of God, she asks first, how can this be? So we hear that question and we know that God is in the midst of bringing about something new beyond what we ever could have imagined ourselves. Something is being born or something is being born again. And this is what happens in Nicodemus, I think. We don't read about it here in John chapter 3, but later in the story, Jesus is teaching and He comes into some conflict And do you remember, there's one man, a religious leader, who stands up to defend him. It's this man, Nicodemus. And then even later than that, after it was all over, when all was dark and the shadows overwhelmed with all of those wonderings of what will happen now that he is gone, Nicodemus joins Joseph of Arimathea in preparing Jesus' body for burial. In the middle of the night, the text says, he comes and he anoints the body of Jesus, and then he is never heard from again. And at that point, he probably thought it was all over. It was final. Just as he'd expect, just as we'd expect. But the next day, can't you imagine that he was close by when the sun was rising And Mary just started to race through the ranks 
of the followers that remain. I have seen the Lord. Come quickly. I have seen the Lord, she says. And I can imagine him, Nicodemus, with those words forming on his lips. How can this be? And I can imagine him picking up the pace and running to the tomb. I can imagine him about to encounter something that shatters all of the bounds of what he has known to that point. I can imagine him stepping forward out of the shadows and into the light that was dawning above the hill, looking like someone that was new. Looking like someone who had been born all over again. And may it be so for each and every one of us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.